0: Carlson, världens bästa, Carlson, 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 hoj här kommer Carlson, 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 ingen faktiskt, ingen annan, Carlson, vill jag så bra som mig, Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores, Carlson, Carlson,
1: Yes. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Keeping
0: Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the best fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys who own Eric Carlson in your keeper pools. I am, as always, your host, Elon Dubrowski, and with me, for the first time right beside me and not in Japan, Brian Kong. Hey, Elon, I can smell you this week. <laughs> How is it?
1: It's all right. It's better than I thought it would be.
0: <laughs> so, people, you might be hearing a bit of the sounds of Toronto while we're recording. Normally, Brian is hidden away in a corner and able to record, but this time he's with me in my downtown Toronto apartment. Hopefully there won't be any sound issues, but a warning right at the beginning just in case. That being said, though, we have a great show for you tonight. It's going to be a bit of a mishmash compared to previous episodes we've had recently where they were very specific, you know, drafting strategies. We did one about advanced stats. We covered goalies and sleepers in separate episodes. This week we're going to sort of cover some fantasy headlines. We're going to talk about some things that Brian wants to clarify from things he said in previous episodes, plus we'll be answering a number of very interesting emails and tweets that we received over the past few weeks.
1: Yeah, this is going to be kind of like a potluck, a Thanksgiving, as, we, <laughs> as, as the preseason has begun and we actually are about to have some real hockey stuff to talk about. So we're tying up a lot of loose ends this week, and Elon, what are we going to start with?
0: Well, of course, we first need to start, before we actually get into our content, uh, we should start by mentioning that we are presented... Proudly by DailyFaceoff.com, a really great source for fantasy hockey. We said last week that their draft kit will be coming out imminently. Now it's like especially imminently. We hear it's going to be coming out any day. We'll definitely keep you posted over Twitter, which, by the way, you should use to follow us at Keeping Carlson. We'll be tweeting out a lot of fantasy hockey advice as the season approaches, and you could obviously also tweet at us with your questions. We've been answering questions over the past few weeks. But yeah, very happy to be working with dailyfaceoff.com and definitely check them out now and when the draft kit comes out. And especially when the season starts, they're a great source for line combinations and starting goalies. But with that out of the way, let's start the show by talking about some fantasy hockey headlines. And unfortunately, now that the preseason has started, it means it's time that we have to start talking about injuries, which is always sad. All these teams have great plans. Us fantasy hockey players, we have great plans too. We have players that we've been targeting. Now everything gets thrown into disarray. The first injury I want to talk about is a bad one. Jordan Stahl, he's going to be out for a couple of months at least. Not great news for him or his owners, but maybe there's another player on Carolina who's going to step into his position and potentially get a bump in his production. Brian, what do you think? Who should people be targeting now that Jordan Stahl is injured?
1: Well, last we heard was three to four months, which is a pretty significant portion of the season. And I think you might want to approach this as a fantasy owner the same way the Hurricanes are. They said they're going to replace... Jordan Stall scoring by committee, I don't think there's going to be any one Carolina player you can really target to make up for it, but if there is one guy who might see a little bit of a bump, it's probably Elias Lindholm, whose tires we pumped a little bit last season. He had a couple short runs of fantasy relevance last year. Overall, he had 21 points in 59 games played. But this is going to be a chance for him to maybe step up and up those totals a little bit. I think he was expected to anyway, regardless of Jordan Stahl's status. But you probably also want to keep your expectations in check. Remember, Jordan Stahl didn't produce a whole lot last season, at least for three quarters of it and so there really isn't uh huge shoes to fill right now in terms of what he was able to produce so there isn't really like this wide gaping hole that somebody needs to step in and fill i think they'll all get by just fine. And hey, if you haven't drafted yet, maybe this is going to save you the heartache of drafting Jordan Stahl too early that most of his fantasy owners felt last season.
0: Okay, so you're saying maybe Elias Lindholm might get a bump. One thing I'd be worried about, though, is maybe the loss of Jordan Stahl. Could that hurt some of these guys who you actually mentioned a couple of weeks ago as guys that maybe should be targeted from Carolina because they're due to increase their production over last year? Guys like Eric Stahl, Alex Salmon, Jeff Skinner... Do you think that those guys now have their value decreased a little bit now that they're not going to be playing with Jordan Stahl?
1: No, not at all. I don't think that their misfortune was connected very much to Jordan Stahl's misfortune last year. I'd still be looking to grab them at better value if, if everybody is putting too much weight in what happened last year with those three. And, Elon, I'm just looking through the the Kane's depth chart on Capgeek. And I've made a a startling discovery. Do you know they have a a forward, a left winger named Eric Carlson? Oh,
0: no. Does that mean we need to be more specific in the name of our podcast, Keeping Eric Carlson the Defenseman?
1: On the Ottawa Senators. Yeah, I think (laughs) it's bad fancy advice to keep left winger Eric Carlson of the Carolina Hurricanes. We'll say that one time and only one time. You've been warned.
0: (laughs) Wouldn't it be awesome if he, like, scores a couple of goals in their season opener and we'll be talking next week all about Eric Carlson from Carolina?
1: I would really probably enjoy that. I'm not going to count on it, but boy, wouldn't that be something.
0: Also, be careful when you're drafting. Don't pick the wrong Eric Carlson. (laughs) But we need to stop joking because, Brian, injuries are not a laughing matter. And not only is Jordan Stahl injured, another big-name player that's injured for at least a couple of months, looks like Derek Stepan is gone for a while. That really sucks for people who own him in like a keeper pool or something. You know, he's kind of on the rise in his career. With Stepan out, does this hurt some players on the Rangers or help some players? What do you think people should do to adjust to Derek Stepan's injury news?
1: Well, the initial line on the length of his injury looks like it's going to be four to six weeks, at least at this point. That's what it looks like. And I think the player that you need to keep in mind the most in all this is probably still Derek Stepan. If you haven't drafted yet and his trade value slips even just a little bit, you can take advantage of that, especially if you're in a head-to-head league. He might be missing 10 to 15 games if this prognosis is accurate, and that's not going to hurt you a whole lot in the long run. If Derek Japan is slipping further into the draft than he would have when he was healthy, like if you can get him in the mid-rounds or even just a little bit before that, that's something you might want to take advantage of.
0: Oh, interesting. Yeah. So if you're in a head to head league, maybe, you know, you lose a little bit in the first few weeks or by the time the main matchups come up. And as long as you're confident you can make the playoffs, he'll still be a key contributor. But for these first few weeks, are there any players in the Rangers who you would potentially target as stepping into his shoes? Like this is a guy who gets power play minutes.
1: Well, Elon, you and I both read that Martin St. Louis appears to have maybe offered to switch to the centerman position to help carry that weight. But I don't think we're going to see a major jump, like in Carolina, in any one player's numbers. I think, if anything, maybe it makes Derek Broussard a little more comfortable. He had a bit of a revival last year, getting just over half a point per game in his first full season with the Rangers. And this is way out of left field, and it's probably not going to help much, but I'm rooting for it personally. Matthew Lombardi. I was really intrigued when he signed with Toronto. It didn't work out for him, uh, and then he spent a little bit of time with Phoenix, now Arizona, and Anaheim, and played last year in the Swiss League. He's back in the NHL. He just signed a two-year contract. I wouldn't expect a whole lot, especially with his injury history and not being in the league for so long. However, maybe this gives him a little bit of window to put a little bit of production. I wouldn't draft him. He's definitely a free agent pickup, but maybe somebody to keep an eye on, but I think this is maybe my heart talking a little more than my head.
0: Okay, yeah, I don't think that Matthew Lombardi's on my radar right now, but I'm glad that you have someone to cheer for, but I do agree that Someone like Derek Broussard could get a bit of a bump at the beginning of the season. He was already being looked at, I think, as a potential starting center for the Rangers. Now, really, it seems like he's the number one choice, unless, like you say, Martin St. Louis ends up jumping into that role. Sticking with the injury talk, some other sad news that has come out recently is that Nathan Horton has what's been described as a degenerative back issue. That definitely doesn't sound good. What do you think about the prospects of Nathan Horton coming back and... Does this make him undraftable this season?
1: Well, I have no inside info on whether or not he'll come back. But yeah, I do kind of think it makes him undraftable. I would probably avoid him. You know, even before this, I saw him on a lot of sleeper lists as I was browsing through other fantasy websites. And I I never saw myself and I actually feel bad seeing this and I feel like we're kicking him while he's down. But yeah, I would not want him on my fantasy team or want to be waiting for him to come back. I think I said the same thing last year, though, and he came back halfway through the year, and he had, you know, a reasonable impact. Not totally insignificant, but I think this year his chances appear at this point to be even less than they were last.
0: Yeah, and I guess that's not the only news coming out of Columbus. Also, Ryan Johansson, who was their leading scorer last year, he still hasn't signed. Is this good news for remaining Columbus players, that they're going to have to take an increased role, or do you think the whole team is just going to have less offensive output because of these two big names being out of the lineup for a while, potentially, at least for Johansson.
1: Yeah, I think it is probably a bit of a problem for everyone else. I'm not sure if anyone's going to step up and play the role. He he was good beyond just the production that he put up. His underlying numbers were good as well. And there are two names on the Columbus roster that now are making me think a little bit. I still don't know if any of them are, are worth anything more than a late round flyer, but Boone Jenner... Had some good moments last year, and perhaps he'll be asked to develop a little quicker or be thrust into a larger role than he would have been had Horton and Johansson been in the lineup right away. Maybe Johansson still will, I'm not saying he won't. Also, Kim Atkinson was supposed to sort of take a step alongside Johansson last year. He took a smaller one, and perhaps he'll continue trending upwards and be worthwhile for you to at least keep an eye on as we hit the beginning of the season.
0: So aside from Bobrovsky, who is an elite goalie, though he might be hurt, obviously, if Columbus isn't able to score... Who are the players to target on the Columbus Blue Jackets? I guess James Wisniewski is a solid defense pickup. Are there any forwards that you see as potential good picks? I believe you had Brandon Dubinsky on your team last year. Do you think he'll be able to improve on what he did?
1: Well, if for some reason your league still counts penalty minutes, yeah, Brandon Dubinsky definitely has value for you. He had 50 points last year and several more penalty minutes. Artem Anisimov is also not insignificant. And Nick Foligno came through a little bit last year. I wouldn't expect him to really exceed what he did last year, but at least he showed that he can do it, and he seems to be a key part in the top six in Columbus and is worthy of your attention in, say, the mid to late rounds.
0: Okay, yeah, Foligno had 39 points in 70 games last season. That's a solid... 45 point pace if he plays a full year which isn't insignificant but yeah definitely a late round pick at best so that's our fantasy hockey headline segment for this week obviously as the weeks go on these segments will become a more significant part of the show especially once the season begins let's move on brian you said that you wanted to address some things you said last week on our goalie episode so i'll give you the floor
1: thank you I am humbled to say that I have some retractions and corrections and clarifications to make. And if you follow us on Twitter, you already know what one of them is. I lumped Carey Price in with Henrik Lundqvist and Tuka Rask as the top three elite goaltenders. And for the life of me, I, I can't justify it. After the show, I spent quite a while trying to look at, well, where did I get this impression that Carey Price belongs there? And I think I had taken an intercontinental flight a few days before, so I'm going to go ahead and blame it on the jet lag. Harry Price does not belong up there. In fact, I'm going to give you a little bonus content here to show how apologetic I am. If you're in a keeper league, I would probably go Henrik Lundqvist, Tuka Rask, and my number three would probably be right now Corey Schneider. Yeah, the Devils aren't great, but he is. And they're traditionally a fairly defensive team, and I feel like he's someone I can rely on, but he's still... Not quite in that tier of two, that top tier of two that we mentioned last week, and I'm leaving those guys there.
0: Okay, well, if not in the top two or potentially even the top three for a keeper, where does Carey Price fall in your goalie rankings, which apparently are fluctuating weekly? <laughs> not, <a joke.
1: laughs> not fluctuating weekly, just a mistake. <laughs> I think I'd put him kind of in the same tier now as, say, Carey Luttonen, and Jimmy Howard, who was another oversight that I'm going to blame on the jet lag, but we're going to get to that in just a couple minutes.
0: So you're saying that he's dropped from the top tier. You're skipping the next tier with guys like Crawford and Quick and Bobrovsky, and you're going to put Carey Price in the following, the sort of third tier of goalies, which has guys like Howard and Lettinen.
1: Yes, yes, I am. Remember that second tier is decent goalies on great teams. And if the Canadians were better, Price would probably be in that tier. But in my mind, they're not there yet. So yes, I would drop him probably into my third tier of goalies.
0: Oh man, I'll be curious to hear what the Montreal Canadiens fans have to say about This retraction that you've made. And I guess no time like the present. You say you have something that you wanted to clarify about Jimmy Howard?
1: Okay, sure. Why wait a couple minutes? Let's get straight to the question we had on reddit.com slash r slash fantasy hockey from a user with a name that rhymes with meta as duck. He pointed out that we didn't talk a whole lot about Jimmy Howard or Pekka in the last episode and asked how do we feel about them. So, Elon, how do you feel about Jimmy Howard and Pekka Well,
0: clearly these are two guys that going into last season, they were considered as being in one of the top two tiers. You know, Pekka was being looked at as one of the elite goalies in the league. Jimmy Howard was playing on this great team, and he had been putting up great save percentages over the past few seasons. Last year really sucked for both of them. Rene obviously was injured for most of the year, and then he came back and was, I guess, unspectacular is a word that you could use. And Jimmy Howard just totally pooped the bed, I guess you could say. There's a guy in my league who picked up Jimmy Howard as his keeper goalie for the future. I remember he was saying he was happy. He finally has a good, solid goalie that he could rely on. And then going into this season, he was almost deciding whether or not he should just drop Howard and not even keep him at all. So he's definitely had a big fall from grace. All of that being said... I would think that both of them have nowhere to go but up. But Brian, you're the expert. What are your thoughts?
1: Well, let's start with the one we completely neglected to ignore. And that was Jimmy Howard. And I have faith in Jimmy Howard. And here's why. Despite his rough year last year, he still had more good seasons than bad seasons. When you look at his full years with the Red Wings so far in the NHL, he's had three good to two bad. And yeah, that's sort of maybe splitting hairs a little bit. It's not the most convincing thing, but I'm going to tie this in with something else that I'd like to clarify from last week, which was that we mentioned even strength safe percentage as being a really good tool to evaluate the true value or talent of goalies. And then we neglected to use it once for the rest of the show. So I'm going to make up for that right now, talking about Jimmy Howard. He's ranked fifth overall in even strength save percentage over the last three years. The only established starters that he's behind are Henrik Lundqvist and Tukarask. and as we've mentioned, that's pretty good company to be in. For the record, Anton Kudobin and Thomas Grice are also pretty good. This is the only goalies who have played more than 2,000 minutes over the last three seasons. Brian Elliott, by the way, is also up there with Thomas Vokun, Sergei Bobrovsky, Mike Smith, and Braden Holdby rounding out the top 10. So I have faith that Jimmy Howard is capable of being an above average NHL goaltender. Pekka Rinne, on the other hand, it's really hard to kind of admit this because he came in with such a strong pedigree, And Nashville's renowned for their defensive system. And hey, they've made so many goalies look like world beaters who ended up looking not great with other teams. I can think of Dan Ellis, Chris Mason, Anders Lindback, who were all so great in Nashville and then have totally faltered since leaving. And this year is seeing a bit of a philosophy change in Nashville. They're going to maybe stray from that defensive trademark style that they're known for. And I'm not sure how that's going to reflect on Renee. So mm, how's he going to do this year? I feel like he might be overrated in several drafts. I think he's better than those guys whose names I just checked, but I'd still expect Rene to come in somewhere around or below his career average numbers, which are a 9.17 17 save percentage and a 2.39 goals against.
0: So Brian, since you have these numbers up of goalies and their even strength save percentage over the past three seasons, can you drill down and tell us who had really good even strength save percentages last season? I'm curious to know if the goalies I think of as having good years last year, if they rank among the top ones once we only consider even strength play.
1: Sure, and just for the record, I'm using stats.hockeyanalysis.com to get this info. So Tukarask is number one, and then Jonathan Quick comes in at number two, followed by Corey Schneider, Ben Bishop, and Henrik Lundqvist in fifth.
0: I find it interesting that Jonathan Quick ranks number two there, because you were saying last week that he's sort of overrated... Or at least that's how he's seen by a lot of hockey analysts. People say that he's got great numbers because of his team. But number two in even strength save percentage, that's nothing to sneeze at.
1: No, it's not. Uh, It is one season, and remember, he was injured for a fair part of it. And I still maintain that the Kings are fantastic defensively. One thing we're learning about them, actually, recently, thanks to uh, Corey Snyder and his zone entry tracking project is that they make it very difficult for teams to gain the zone with control. And perhaps that's having an effect on the level of danger that the shots other teams are taking poses to Jonathan Quick. Yeah, sure, I'll give it to him. He was second in the league in even strength save percentage, but I'm still going to go with small sample size and great defensive team to back that up. He's still 25th in the league over the last three years in the larger sample size and I think that backs up where I'm coming from.
0: All right well we'll get back to some other listener questions soon. One thing I wanted to discuss with you Brian is you tweeted from our Keeping Carlson Twitter account last week that people should be careful to not pay too much attention to preseason hockey. I believe you said just pretend like the whole thing doesn't happen. Don't let it affect any of your decisions come draft time.
1: Okay so do you think I was wrong?
0: Well, I mean, I guess not completely. Like, I see where you're coming from. You think that, you know, certain players are being tested in certain positions, and that might not actually be reflective of what will happen during the regular season. I personally think that there are some things to learn. For example, line combinations, you know, who's clicking with who. If there's certain players that are doing really well, maybe that's meaningful. Someone who you never heard of, and all of a sudden this guy's scoring a bunch of goals. I remember last preseason, Thomas Hurdle had a really good preseason, and that led me to consider him in the draft, and he obviously did really well before he got injured. I'm curious to know, what exactly makes you say that we should ignore the preseason completely?
1: The two names I'm going to appeal to to answer your question are John Sim and Brandon Bachensky. Now, they're just two out of many who lit up the league in preseason and then promptly disappeared once the regular season began. A lot of people got excited about both of them, both in fancy hockey. And I know as a Sens fan, Brandon Brachensky was like a really big deal playing on a line with Alfredson and Spezza, or Spezza and Heatley, or something like that. Whatever. The point is that these guys are given chances in the preseason by both their team and the other team that they're not going to get in the NHL regular season. A lot of things can happen over a small sample size when you have a lot of people playing in the games who won't be there once the season begins. That's why I think if you're going to get any value from the preseason... You're really just going to get it from each team's last couple games when most of the guys have been cut, and the veterans and the established NHLers are playing almost for real and treating it as a real tune-up. That way, maybe you can see a little bit about line combos. Sure, I'll give you that. But if you're looking to make lineup decisions and you're reacting to things that are happening in preseason games as a fantasy hockey owner, uh, you're probably in for some trouble, and I would recommend strongly... That you stand pat, and Elon, we've talked about this, maybe we'll talk about it more in next week's show, or or closer to the start of the regular season, about how long you should stand pat for once you have drafted your roster. And by that I mean not making moves, not being too reactionary, and you definitely don't want to do that in preseason, let alone maybe the first few games of the NHL regular season too. All
0: right, well yeah, fair enough. It definitely makes sense that everyone's just trying out different things, so it's hard to put too much weight into the results. Definitely pay attention to the injury news, though. Don't be drafting Jordan Stahl. That's one thing that you can learn from paying attention to preseason hockey. Let's go back now to answering some listener questions. I want to start with one by Jeff, who emailed us at our email, keepingcarlson at gmail.com. And Brian, you mentioned actually earlier in the show, talking about something you said, if your league still counts penalty minutes. Jeff asked about that. He was saying he's in a league that counts penalty minutes, and he's wondering how he should try to fill his penalty minutes category what are your thoughts on penalty minutes and how to deal with that if that's a stat in your league?
1: Penalty minutes is a tough one. And like I alluded to earlier, I think a lot of leagues are tending to drop it as a category for the reason that Jeff mentioned in his email. There's no benefit to a player's team for them to take a penalty, and the guys doing it the most consistently are usually plug types who don't do much for you in other categories. So I think you've got three options here if your league counts penalty minutes. First, you can take a look at players who have at least half a point per game, which is generally my threshold for fancy relevance, and have played in about two-thirds of their team's games over the last three seasons. If you sort those guys by most penalty minutes, you're going to see a handful of decent guys at the top who you can probably target that consistently put up penalty minutes and decent point totals. And the names there are usually Hartnell, Simmons, Lucic, Dubinsky, and Backus. But the penalty minute numbers fall off into average territory pretty quickly after them. So if you're looking for someone who puts up penalty minutes and good points. Uh, Your options are pretty limited. So another option is to just grab an enforcer type towards the end of your draft. A guy who sees regular playing time with their team, like maybe Chris Neal or Zach Ronaldo or Derek Dorsett or Brendan Pruss or Steve Ott, they're usually at the top of the list for guys who play a lot of minutes who might not score a lot of points, but still put up a lot of penalty minutes. I generally don't feel like these guys are worth any kind of pick for you, even if your league counts the penalty minutes. Definitely not before the very end because you can grab high penalty minute guys throughout the fantasy season and there's no real way to predict if they're going to keep seeing the ice time or putting up penalty minutes at the same rate. And your third and final option, and it depends on your pool format, this is easier to do in head-to-head leagues than in a roto league, is to just forget penalty minutes altogether and focus on making sure that you're well off in the more skilled and logical categories. And this is what I prefer to do. It saves me from getting hung up on a hard-to-predict category in the draft and passing up better overall players for guys that I hope are going to help me in just one measly category. If you're strong enough in all the other categories, you can probably sacrifice a weekly loss in penalty minutes. And hey, even with that, you'll probably win it once every now and then.
0: Yeah, I've personally never been in a league with penalty minutes so I don't have too much to add, except that you could always sort of take some projections like those of Scott Cullen or, you know, what's going to come in the daily Faceoff draft kit. And you know, they usually project not only goals and assists and power play points, they'll usually project penalty minutes. And you could always plug those numbers into a system like what they're doing over at Fantasy Hockey Geek. You could sort of just plug in all of the numbers from all the projections, including penalty minutes, and then let someone else sort of rank the value. But if you have to do it yourself... I kind of like the idea that what Brian is saying, aside from the guys who put up points and penalty minutes, probably better just avoid it. Don't even worry about it. Because, yeah, these guys are very likely to maybe not get consistent ice time. The next question I want to talk to us came on Twitter. Alex Crossland, or at ATC729, he tweeted us, at Kevin Carlson, I have a draft on Thursday and I don't know if I should keep Hurdle or Palat. What should I do? Basically, that was his tweet. Brian, what are your thoughts? Hurdle or Palat? Two up-and-coming youngins. If you could only keep one, who would you keep?
1: Yeah, well, they both burst onto the scene last year and are going to be fantasy-relevant for years to come, and there's not a whole lot to take between them, especially since Hurdle played a shorter season because of his injury. If you look at their point-per-game paces, they were about the same. Hurdle had a small edge in points for 60 minutes, but he had a big edge in possession numbers. His Corsi ratio was at 55% while Palatz was at 50% or just a bit above 50%, Hurdle's relative course, he was also better than Palatz. And ultimately, it's hard to say, Elon. We're going off one season's worth of numbers, and for Hurdle, we're going off of 37 games' worth of numbers. I don't think you can go wrong with either one, but the underlying numbers seem to hint at Hurdle being the better choice.
0: I think I might actually disagree with you, Brian. Like you say, I agree that it's probably pretty close and hard to predict. I think if I had to pick one, I'd go with Palat, and that's what I answered on Twitter. Don't forget, people, when you tweeted us, at Keeping Curls, and sometimes Brian responds, sometimes I do. If you specifically want Brian or my advice, maybe you should ask for it. But I said Palat mainly because he's got a long career ahead of him playing along with probably someone who's going to be one of the top two or three players in the league, Stephen Stamkos, and playing On the first line and on the power play with Steven Stamkos, I kind of like those prospects a little better than what Hurdle's going to have on San Jose. Sticking with Twitter, another question we got from at Bacon Manic. He asked, would you recommend building your fantasy team from the goalie out? And then he gave us a list of what positions he's thinking of drafting in this order. Goalie, then defense, then another defense, then a winger, then another winger, then center. So Brian, what do you think about that order for prioritizing how you plan to draft?
1: Actually, I'm not a huge fan of that kind of setup. And Elon, I know you've been having a really heated debate with one of our listeners, Tom, if you're listening. Hey, how's it going? And Tom is saying to leave all the defensemen towards the end of the draft. And you were saying that, you know, it's good to try and grab a good one. And and here's where I stand on it. I think Eric Carlson and PK Subban are heads and tails above the rest of the defensive field in terms of fantasy production. If you can get one of them, then great, go for it. After that, I think you should probably have a tier, and we've talked about D-Man before, so you can go back and listen to a couple weeks ago, a tier of proven defensemen who are power play quarterbacks on successful teams. Those are the guys you want. Maybe there's seven or eight of them in the league. You probably want to make sure you get one of those, and when you draft them, depends on what the other teams in your draft are doing. This is why a tiering system can be really effective, because if you know that there are eight guys who you feel about the same about, if all eight are available at your turn in the draft, well, you can wait another round and try and draft a forward who's, you know, going to be a 70-point guy or even 65-point guy, but if they start to peter out and you're looking at maybe six or seven of them are gone, you've got to grab one of those last two guys before that tier is up. After you grab somebody from your first tier defenseman, it's my strategy, especially if your league doesn't have a category only for defensive points. I like to wait till the end of the draft to fill out the rest of my d and Maybe grab one, you know, in the mid to late rounds and then one in the late rounds. And then even wait till the season begins to fill in that last defenseman, assuming you've got four spots. So to sum up, to answer your question, no, I don't think you should draft from the goalie out. Definitely make sure you've got a good goalie. If your categories dictate that, try and get a defenseman from your top tier, or if Suban or Carlson are available, grab one of them right up with the elite forwards. Aside from that, I think you can wait.
0: So, Brian, what about, though, if you could get, say, two top-tier defensemen early in your draft? Is there a benefit to doing that? Like, if you could, say, have a Carlson and a Duncan Keith after the first five rounds—
1: It's hard to say. I think that depends heavily on which forwards are available. Usually, you know, I would prefer a 70-point guy or a 65-point guy or maybe even a 60-point guy to any defenseman who's not in my first tier and probably in my second tier. I'd rather go with an elite forward. But Elon, you had an interesting point you were making about making the most efficient use of each roster spot. Well, yeah,
0: and that just comes down to sort of saying that there's no easy answer to a question like this, and it really depends on how the draft is going. Like, if you're going to be able to have, just like what Brian said about your defenseman tier, if you're forward tier of guys between, let's say, 16, 70 points, if there's a lot of guys left available there and not that many defensemen who are maybe in the 40 to 50 point range, then you want to target the defenseman. But if it's the opposite, you know, then you have to flip your strategy accordingly. So I think it really depends on, you know, you have to look at your roster. You have to see that you're trying to get the best overall roster. You want every position to be. As high as you can get it and you want the total sum of points to be as high as you can get it. So again it kind of comes back to if you make tiers it makes everything a lot easier and then you can't just have a simple answer like draft in this order. You really need to look at your tiers and see as tiers are running out that's when you need to grab that position so that you'll have one guy from each tier or like as many guys as you can from your higher tiers. And with that it looks like we're nearing the end of the show. But I don't really want to just end here. I just want to keep going. How about, Brian, each of us, let's talk about one player that we're targeting in upcoming drafts that may be sort of a sleeper pick. And by sleeper, I don't necessarily mean a guy who, you know, won't be drafted or will be drafted in the late round, but just someone who you think is someone to look at as being undervalued in some drafts.
1: Okay, well, Jaden Schwartz has signed a contract with the St. Louis Blues, so he's good to go for this season, which is good news for those who have already drafted him. And important news for those who have not yet had their fantasy drafts or perhaps he's in free agency in your pool right now. We already talked about Hurdle and Palat, and you know I'd put Jaden Schwartz in that same category. Even though I think he did get sort of glossed over and forgotten in all the exciting things that happened in St. Louis last year, his numbers were definitely comparable to them both. In fact, he had a better points per 60 minutes rate than Andrej Palat and had better possession numbers than both of them, both in terms of his Corsi and his relative Corsi. For those who need a refresher, he had 16 goals and 24 assists for 40 points total in 80 games played. And I just want to remind everybody that he's out there. And perhaps you've seen his name so often in the news with contract talks that you're kind of just tuned out most things related to Jaden Schwartz. But don't tune this out, and remember that he is one of the more exciting young players in the NHL going into this season.
0: Alright, well in that case, a guy like Jaden Schwartz, uh, how many points would you predict he should be able to get next season?
1: Well, I'm hopeful he'll improve on his totals last year, and I'm going to make, uh, I don't know, maybe it's a conservative estimate, but I'm going to say 45-50 points.
0: Okay, that kind of puts him as a last or second last round pick. Unless, you know, of course you're in a keeper pool. I'd say maybe he's good for 50. I'd feel pretty confident saying he'll get 50.
1: But enough about my guy. Who are you going to talk about to end off the show?
0: Well, I'm going to talk about someone who we actually talked a lot about last season because I had him on my fantasy team. I want to talk about Kyle Poso. He had a career year last year. You know, 69 points in 71 games. Almost a point per game pace. If he could repeat that this season, you know, he's basically an elite player. Someone you want to be taking in your first two rounds. Now, I don't know if he'll be able to repeat that exactly, you know, a point per game is a lot to ask for, but I read an interesting article, and we actually tweeted it a couple of weeks ago, or retweeted it, from SB Nation about why potentially Akposo could be able to repeat those numbers or come close to them. First of all, his PDO last season, and this is again an advanced stat that Brian taught us about a few weeks ago in our advanced stats episode, his PDO was 100, and that basically means that he wasn't really benefiting from some extra luck. So we don't need to be so concerned that his great year last year was just like an aberration that could never happen again. Another thing that makes me optimistic about Ocposo's upcoming season is that he actually played quite a few games last year without John Tavares centering him. And that was a really good test to see if Ocposo was just sort of leeching off of Tavares's awesome skills or is he able to drive offense on his own and Okposo played very well without Tavares. He had actually similar numbers with and without Tavares. So all of that to say, next season he hopefully will be playing the full season with John Tavares, and while I don't think he'll get a point per game, that's maybe a bit much to expect, I do see that he could potentially be a 70-point player, and that does put him as someone that you should draft in a high round, and if you could get lucky and have him fall to maybe the fifth sixth round. like I'm not sure exactly. It obviously depends on the stats your league counts, but I think Ocposo could potentially be a really nice sleeper pick. And again, by sleeper, I just mean someone who is underrated compared to how other people are looking at him.
1: Well, Ilan, I'm glad your boostering of Kyle Ocposo is continuing over into the second season of keeping Carlson. I look forward to another year of pumping his tires.
0: Well, of course, we'll see if I get to uh, pick him up again. Last year, I got him as a free agent four weeks into the season. I don't think that's going to happen this year, but maybe I'll be able to get him in the draft. He wasn't kept, so he will be available. And that, my friends, is the end of another episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast. It is nice that we were able to talk about some things actually happening as opposed to just prognosticating on what we think will happen. Of course, mostly what we talked about was injuries, which was kind of sad. But as the weeks go on, we're going to start talking about the season... What's going on? So any of you who are new listeners, strap in. We've got a big season of Fantasy Hockey Podcasting coming to you. We're really excited about it. We're really going to try our best to be the number one resource out there in terms of Fantasy Hockey Podcasts, and we want you along for the ride. So like I said before, follow us on Twitter, tweet at us, at Keeping Carlson. Also, if you wouldn't mind, we'd really appreciate if you could give us a five-star review on iTunes. That helps us get more people to know about the show. And I know you don't want to tell people that are in your pool about our podcast because that will give away your edge. But it doesn't hurt to give a five-star review on iTunes. That's sort of like the internet way of, of telling your friends. So please do that for us. And with that, let's cue the outro music, and Brian, go ahead and read the credits.
1: Okay, thank you to our partners over at the Nation's Network and Daily Faceoff, and this show was researched with, well, Daily Faceoff, Left Wing Lock, Hockey Analysis, and war-on-ice.com.
0: And of course, we'll be linking to any articles that we discussed on the episode in our show notes at keepingcarlson.com. Thanks everyone for listening, and we will catch you all next week.
1: Keep on keeping Carlson.